This is the Development Locker Podcast, and this is your weekly investment in your development as you continue your transition through life and academy football. In Season 3, we bring you even more episodes, more guests who you can connect with, and even more insight into individuals like you who have a similar experiences in pursuing a career in the professional game. Over the next 11 months and 48 episodes, we aim to cover the key topics you will face along your journey. From the challenges you will have to overcome, the ups, the downs, and many experiences along the way. We will be here every week to discuss the current issues in your lives, support you in your journey, and continue your development to being the best version of you in your interviews from the locker. In this week's episode, we build upon our psychological theme from last week's episode and the last time this week's guest was last on. Sarah Murray is an outstanding practitioner with a wealth of experience within football and other sports too. In her last appearance, we discussed identity, but this time around, we talk all things success and failure, in particular, how to deal with both. Over the next 60 minutes, Sarah and I will aim to support you when, and not if, you experience either of these in your football journey and life in general. With some easy wins to be had, tips and tricks of the trade provided, as well as some more tools for the bag. As we bring you episode four of Interviews for the Locker. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast and we have somebody who was only just on a few months ago and it was that good we decided to have her back so welcome back Sarah and we'll get straight into the why as we always do. So the topic of this episode dealing with success and failure in your opinion Sarah in your opinion sorry why do athletes struggle when dealing with success and failure? Oh, I think um, for me, it all comes down to the way in which they perceive success and failure. And and I guess, you know, most um, uh, I guess most commonly in this country, um, we look very much upon success being the measure of things. And the more importance we in place, we place on winning and on success, the more debilitating losing becomes. So then we sort of, you know, this shuts down our ability to be creative, build relationships, um, learn and adapt. um, And the stress that then comes from the debilitating kind of sense of losing, um, because the the emphasis on winning is so great, um, means that there there are really huge impacts um, in the way that young athletes, young footballers will deal with success and failure. and actually, um, I think it's it's really safe to say, in my experience working with young academy footballers, that some of them are so, so desperate for success, they actually are fearful of doing things that might gain them that, that success. Because if it's that sort of, you know, what if it goes wrong and, I, and I, I'd rather just not try in the first place, 
uh, then I would actually try and succeed, but then fail. But if I don't try, then I've got an excuse for failure and then I'll feel better about myself and I won't have reached the heights that perhaps I could have. And this was a, a repeated pattern that I would see in uh, the lads that I worked with. I can see you nodding. Yeah, I, I'm nodding profusely. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I suppose on that, you mentioned the word impact and mm. it is... Is that an easy, well, it's not an easy get out, isn't it? Is that the kind of need to avoid failure type of theory? But yeah. is it is it as easy as that for people to try and disengage from a, a challenge, a task, a, you know, to, to put themselves out there? Because from my perspective, mm. I have massive respect for academy players because they are putting themselves out for yeah. constant failure all the time. Constantly. With it. so pre-season yeah. training, fitness testing, mm-hmm. it's, you know, the trip, the, the normal season training, mm. the first game, the next game, the contracts. Am I going to get a registration? Am I going to get a yeah. pro deal? So, what 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 is the impact? Is the is the numerous impacts in terms of that mm. perceiving everything as, as, as failure for an athlete? I mean, in a really truly psychologist way, I am going to say those magic words. It depends. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and sit on the fence, but but it really does because it totally depends on that athlete that player's relationship with failure what kind of frame do they put failure in do they see failure as a threat or a challenge opposite opportunity or a, or a threat what's their perception what's their relationship with it and why what are their previous lived experiences you know how many failures have they had have they had many in which case they'd have built a relationship with it it might be a helpful relationship it might be an unhelpful relationship with failure um you know, then often when I was working with players, one of the first things I'd, I'd say is, tell me about your favorite failure. And I remember they'd look at me like, I'm sorry, what? A favorite <laughs> failure? Because I'm trying to pull out of them the many failures that they've already had and the fact that they're still in the system and still playing football and doing what they love. And, you know, I mean, if we if we think about it's often said on the, the high performance podcast. So I'm going to unashamedly quote them. But, you know, fail hard, no, fail, fail hard. It's, it's about failing hard, failing fast and failing forward. And yeah. the earlier on you do that in your in your journey as a, as a footballer or as an athlete, the better. Um, so definitely the impact failure has on the athlete also will be linked to the amount of the amount of time that that athlete has been playing the sport. Um, so an athlete that's been playing for, for many, many years, but had, you know, very little adversity, very few f- perceived failures. Um, those for me are the worrying players that then once they get to, you know, under 18, under 23, and they've not yet really had what, what we would call a failure and they have their first one, you know, they're on the bench or really poor form or get dropped. That's almost harder than the athletes or the players that have come through the system. And, you know, they've, they've had those perceived failures from a much earlier age, um, because then they've developed the mechanisms to be able to, to cope with them, to be able to cope with the being benched or, or being dropped, playing out of position, making a mistake um, and that sort of thing. The, the perception, is that through previous lived experiences? Is that a bias? Is that uh, a result of the the environment, the culture they find themselves in or a combination of all or all of those things? Yeah, there's definitely a combination. But, and there's, but there's no getting away from the fact that our primary caregivers or, or parents and and their language, their narrative and their framing of failure, what it is and what it's not, 
Um, and of course, that will be based on their life experiences it has a huge impact, doesn't it? And outside of that, um, the, the organisation, so in, in the context of football, the, the, the club itself, the academy itself, you know, what's the day to day language? What are the day to day to day to day value, the day to day values of the club? Um, and are they words on a wall hmm. um, or are they walked and talked in the corridors? Do they walk the walk? So, you know, if it's a, an academy that talks about really developing the, the the person beyond the the badge and beyond football, that's great. But do they actually do that? And what part of that is supporting them to understand who they are as this kind of links, doesn't it, to the identity um, podcast does. last yeah. time, who they are and, and how they will cope with failure, which again will impact the failures that they have, um, their identity and how, how closely linked to self-worth um, their identity as a footballer, in this case, it was thinking about football, but more broadly athletes, um, you know, identity is linked to self-worth and failure is linked to identity. And therein lays sometimes a little bit of a minefield. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. Thankfully, that's your job, not mine. But <laughs> in terms of that failure, then let's kind of put it into perspective, in, in, into context of academy players. So, how should an athlete in this example, an academy player, cope with failure? So whether that's a mistake in the first five minutes of a game, whether that's a loss, whether that's in their perceived failure of not getting that contract, that extra two-year registration, that scholarship. Are there any tips yeah. and tricks to to simple actions that can negate that failure or that perception of it? I think we need to start talking to them about what 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 failure is to them you know because I'm sat here and I'm hearing you talk about a mistake and failure linked in the same sentence which is completely um viable absolutely but I'm sat here going well my perception my frame around this from years of playing and making enough mistakes um I I I'm going well hang on a mistake's not a failure a mistake is absolutely a place to learn because I see that as a as an opportunity I see it as a challenge to be better and I go well if if I've never made that mistake then how on earth am I going to know what to do next time and how to be better? Um, and when we're thinking about young athletes and particularly academy footballers, the voices around them, the voices around them, both their peers, but essentially the coaching staff would have such a you know fantastic influence on on how the the lads work with these things. And it's a position of real power. So I, mm. I always look to to myself um, in terms of, a, you know, the power of how much influence I have on anyone that I'm working with. And, and the same with coaches, um, you know, is thinking about that, that how do we um, support that player to move on from this mistake, learn from the mistake and ensure that if we are talking about things that they can be better at or do better next time these are tangible internal controllable factors that they can do and actually it kind of got before we were um came on air it got me thinking about winning and the word competition and, and actually the earliest references to and and i'm taking this from a fantastic book called the long win by kath bishop which i've read a couple of times and, and been um had the pleasure of meeting and talking with cash kath um, and she talks about the earliest references of winning. And it actually means like there was a word called Woonia, W-U-N-N-I-A. Um, and it meant joy and pleasure and delight. And in the earliest stage of language, winning was all about pleasure and effort. Like the actual word itself came from 
words that mean pleasure and effort. Um, and I think if we are, if we're looking at an athlete and we're looking at a footballer and he's made a mistake, um, it's about effort. It's about controllable things. You know, if those controllable factors are in place, then, you know, that mistake is is not a failure at all. Um, that mistake is something that will happen and he or she will learn from. Um, and winning was about the human experience rather than material outcome. But what we have done is we have just put loads of emphasis on it being this outcome and we lose sight, don't we, of of the the process. We lose sight of the how because we're so focused on the what. Yeah, I think it's going back to what you said before then about, you know, the term, the use of language and the terms that we use in and around mm. the environment. I think that's possibly important. I know that's something that I know I, I, I individually and personally need to improve. And I'm sure a lot of people, you know, can as well, you know, up and down the country and, and academies across the board as well. And I suppose what you're suggesting is that these players these athletes need to really embrace failure as an essential learning development but how do how do we create those opportunities mm. in still a safe environment in still a, a learning environment mm. but expose them to failure not really probably perceive it as that or more mm. more better put to, to perceive it as a learning yeah, yeah. opportunity how do we how mm. do we create that it's 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 really hard isn't it you know like to create that and I mean, certainly things that have that have been really helpful in some of the work that I've done uh, has been planning for adversity, like planning for failure. And again, people are just like, my God, you know what? First, she's asking me about my favorite failure and now she's telling me to plan for it. I mean, you know, does this woman have no faith in me? Um, but it's about that proactive resilience, isn't it? It's about supporting them to build a resilience against the failures that haven't happened yet. And we're so quick, aren't we, to talk? about resilience all the time in terms of you know a reaction to something a bouncing back when things have gone wrong but actually how much work are we proactively doing to be resilient against things that are going to happen in the future to be resilient against the mistake i'm going to make next saturday against the to be resilient against a resilient against the fact that they're going to send me out on loan and i'm i'm not sure that i really want to do that um and to actually plan for our our reactions, our response, and maintaining this sense of what I can do and what I can control. So those key key questions of what can you do, you know, what can you control, um, which is really helpful to to have those open conversations. Um, but like you said, a key word: those conversations don't happen if a player doesn't feel safe to do so. Yeah. And yeah. if the environment and the messages around them from parents, caregivers, coaches, you know, school, they're the three huge um, influences, aren't they? Um, and if those those messages don't align with that being safe to do, then it makes it more difficult. So speaking of control then, so mm -hmm. when a player makes a mistake, whether that's perceived failure or not, it, how easy is it for that player to forget about it, move on, but yet, not miss that vital learning opportunity so to, to prevent them from making that same mistake after mistake after mistake mm. repeating that process yeah. yeah and in that moment on the pitch in the game of course you're not going to say listen ref could you just stop the game for a bit I just want to reflect on that pass that I missed because you know I should have slid him in and you know it was but and so in in that moment it's really important to just be where your feet are and to be where your feet are is, 
is the very best that we can do and high performance mindset and, and being a high performer is about doing the best you can do with what you've got in the moment you're in so if we're thinking about in the game and players forgetting about it for as long as they find and connect to a way of being where their feet are so whether it's actually a you know using using those words whether it's actually touching their laces, looking down at their laces, finding something that brings them into that moment of where their feet are, that will do a, that will do enough for them to make some good decisions in that moment when the ball's coming at them, despite five minutes ago having not played his not played his forward in behind like he wanted to. Um, and then the important is the and then we think about the debrief and you you talked about after the game. Um, and after the game, learning from from the, the the fact that he didn't slide his friend in at that time or whatever the mistake or, or the error was. And again, it's, it's about openly talking about it. And we and that's the easy bit, though, in my experience, because we are pre-wired. We're pre-wired to be threat detectors, aren't, aren't we? As our brains, as as evolution has gone over, our brains are very are very wired in and tuned into the negative and tuned into detecting threat. I mean, that's great um, in the days where we were being chased down by animals and we had to, we were hunter gatherers. Um, but it does mean that, you know, I've had experiences where girls or, or lads I've worked with footballers have come off on a pitch and they, they, they've had a fantastic game, you know, scored a couple of goals, um, you know, really worked so hard given everything and they will just, give me a list of what went wrong and what wasn't good enough and you know which is both their greatest strength but when we overcook that it's also a bit of a it's also a weakness because it mustn't come at the expense of actually reflecting on things that have been good and on those successes um so balanced reflection after the game um on you know even better if what i want to stop doing start doing continue doing is a nice little framework that i'm sure you've come across lots of times um, yeah, I mean, it, you, you you talked before there about failure and that perception of you know is it a learning opportunity? Is it mm-hmm. um, you know a missed opportunity? And is it I suppose equally with success? Is that down to in, individual perception to what one player's success may not be for the other player? And mm-hmm. how how as a as a sports psychologist, how are you able to or do you need to see it through their lens to be able to perceive it as success or? Is it about having that conversation and getting them to reframe what they think success is? How, how does it work? I think, I mean, it's really hard, isn't it? And and certainly as a sports psychologist or, or performance coach as I am, I, I cannot ever see something entirely through someone else's lens because I've got my eyes and my lens. I can seek to understand their lens. And I think that's a big part of the role of a performance coach, sports psych, you know, is that we can support players to understand how it is they do view failure what is it and why and dig into and help them to understand it better because when they understand it better they're going to start to understand why it is in certain situations they they have that that negative thought and then they might understand that actually that leads them to feel something then they might understand that that feeling leads them to then you know make a poor performance decision on the pitch or their actions are slightly different so i think the best that that we can do is to have those conversations to help them to understand the lens um and some of the best work i did was helping players look at things through the threat and challenge so threat and challenge frameworks that you know recognizing that everything that happened day to day from injury to to mistakes on the pitch to they were they were looking at through a threat 
a threat lens. And when I look at things through a threat lens, this is what I this is what I do and how I respond. And this is how it is helpful or unhelpful for me. Because, again, you know, let's not suggest that a threat lens is completely unhelpful. There have been players for whom it can be quite helpful. It's rare, but it happens. So to answer your question, I think it's just supporting them to to think and look at at my best when I'm in challenge frame and I see something as a challenge and opportunity. This is what I this is what I am thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is these are my actions. And, you know, it, it's what it does for me. And when I'm in threat mode, oh, OK, you know, here we go. I'm in threat mode like I've recognized it. And that's your first step, isn't it? Right. Because if we don't know that, then we can't eat, we can't everyone jump straight to action. Hell, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah, well, they do. How do we know what to do if we don't know what's going on? Well, we've got to be aware of it first. And then we work to the then we work through the phase of now we've got that awareness of the frame that we would put you know failure into, and why and we've dug into why beyond us as a footballer but we've really dug into why. Uh, now we can start to think about what is success, why does it look like that, why is it so heavily linked only to football, or why is it that you have a an idea of success that is this one outcome um and we can just go from there really it's an exploration i'm really pretty sure that doesn't answer your question no it more than doesn't and, and continue on that success bit really mm. in terms of that per- perceived success what, mm. what mistakes have you seen athletes in general not just academy players or football players but athletes in general what what common mistakes do you see them making when they've achieved this perceived success i think winning becomes inextricably linked with your self-worth your self-esteem and it seeks then to justify your existence now when we have a perceived sense of success or winning that is in that frame it is my absolute you know as in outcome orientated winning in the traditional in the in the the traditional sense of you know i'm going to win the game i'm going to get promotion to the under 23s i'm going to get a first team contract um in my experience that's when it's it 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 can get really messy because it just takes one bump in the road, which inevitably will happen, albeit big, small, um, and it then can have a really damaging effect on the mental well-being of that player, um, because their 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 reason for being and their self-worth um, and their justification for being a valuable human being is wrapped up in that that contract they've just got, which of course then has huge performance implications, because you know try playing under that pressure. Uh, incredibly difficult thing to do um, and, and some do it brilliantly well. I have so much admiration for players that that really do hold their identity and their self-worth is absolutely linked to winning football um, and they go out there and they do perform and they do, they do reach those heights um, and some do. Many don't and some do but even those that do by the time they're in their at best, early, mid-30s, possibly, maybe later because, uh, you know, players are playing longer into the game these days. Yeah. They're, they're, they're still done anyway. That's the that's the playing piece of football done for them. And they're still a functioning, valuable human being, but um, many of them won't hold the mirror up to themselves and see that. And, well, you, you mentioned the mirror there. Is that, 
is that almost coming down to a bit of accountability interrelated to the the identity bit of their values, what they stand for? Is it purely to win at all costs? You know, is it purely to do whatever's necessary to get that next contract? Do, do you see that often in, in in athletes, or am I doing them a disservice there? We see it often. I've right. seen it often. Um, right. I think that there's, I think there's a, a, a shift, and, and you mentioned values. And I think there is a shift, and at the moment, values does seem to be a bit of a, um, a, a performance coaching buzzword, and for organisations and sports and, and individual athletes. Um, and it's really good; it's getting so much airtime because it's important that that we support athletes and organisations to recognise these values and actually to hold these values to account beyond winning, because this is about beyond winning. You know, what is there beyond winning? What is there beyond success? Um, the the world spins madly on. Again, it's it's another phrase that those that know me will have heard me say lots of you know lots of, lots of times. The world spins madly on. So, actually, whether whether there's success, winning in your day, whether there's failure in your day, the world spins madly on. And so that that perspective. And stepping back and having a sense of perspective is something else that that we can really support athletes with. And I think from a football point of view, what doesn't or hasn't in the past, in my experience, has been understood well enough is that everything I'm talking about now. So perspective, stepping back, healthy sense of identity and relationship to failure that goes beyond me just being a footballer and nothing else. All of this, when there is a long termism to the journey of, of a player understanding who he or she is, it is the absolute foundation for sustained high performance. And that's the bit that I think we're still sort of trying to get across that, and, you know, and I could say similar to the to the dirty word well-being, you know, the fluffy <laughs> stuff over here, um, that I, actually it doesn't sit alone. Again, it's a fundamental foundation for long-term high-performing footballers. And so it doesn't sit on this thing over here unrelated to the performance that we want from them on a Saturday. It absolutely fundamentally underpins it. Um, and, and we're getting there with these conversations, um, but we have some way to go. Uh, and I think um, we have a massive opportunity to, and certainly some of the great podcasts that you've already recorded and the work that you're doing, um, an opportunity to really make sure that this is being talked about debated um in in football academies up and down the country well yeah totally agree and i love the quote there about you know the words still turn and i think that was yeah never so apparent than it was obviously during lockdown and covid and i think a lot of people you know including ourselves and and many many individuals not just academy players have questioned you know what their values are and what they mm. stand for and you know whether win, lose or draw, whatever sport they're playing, that, yeah, the life will go on. And, yeah, things probably won't change as drastic as they first think. Mm. The world spins madly madly on. And ultimately, uh, the value of me as a person, as a human being, is unchanged, whether yeah. I played my mate in behind on Saturday or whether I absolutely fully messed up that pass and that opportunity to play him in behind for a goal scoring opportunity yeah. my value easier said than done though because of the reasons we've talked about and the the emphasis that's put on success when we do then feel like we we've failed it has 
it has catastrophic consequences. So it's easy to sit here and say that, um, but it's a little bit harder to to truly um, to truly manage your self worth when it is understandably completely linked with with the sport that you play. And and a tedious link, not to say your quotes up there with uh, Rudyard Kipling's famous quote about, you know, (laughs) establishing a balance through treating success and failure both the same. But Mm. speaking of easy, is that Mm -hmm. easy to actually do? Mm -hmm. And if it is, how does an athlete even go about trying to get that balance between success and failure? My goodness, the last manager that I worked alongside um, loved this quote and would use it a lot. Um, and in their own playing career, actually, would be someone that that you could see um, actually perhaps had a, a natural ability to to treat success and failure as, as the same. And and some people yeah. certainly have this a, a more natural tendency to be able to emotionally regulate. And that's okay. what we talk. That's what in my in my opinion we're talking about here. We're talking about emotional regulation. Can I emotionally regulate myself so that actually when when I am um, winning when when things are going well and I'm successful that emotionally I'm not getting so high and hanging everything on that that the consequences conversely when I'm thinking I've failed or I've messed up that I get so low and if we're regulating our emotions our emotions of course they're going to fluctuate but if we have got massive massive highs when everything's going well and we've got huge lows when things aren't going well that is a exhausting um, you're potentially mentally heading towards some some burnout over a long period of time if you're constantly high and the highs are high and the lows are low and there's not a lot in between. Um, so emotional regulation and the player's ability to regulate him or herself herself will go a long way as to how they can establish a balance through a balanced uh, perspective of their successes and their failures and an ability to detach those from the fundamentals of who they are. And I use this term functioning human being all the time because I'm still figuring out how to be a functioning human being. And I am many decades into my life and my journey in sport. Um, And actually, you know, the the self-worth piece, you know, this we could be having a conversation tonight about our roles in our jobs. um, And and yet it's the same for for football, footballers and for athletes in terms of success and failure and perception and how does it really make me feel when things go wrong? How do I really view myself? Yeah, I mean, is that the classic then post-match interview of take every game, you know, as it comes? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm a Liverpool fan. When when we actually finally won the league after 30 years of trying, yeah. you know, John, John Enson in, in front of the camera every other, well, every single game, and he's getting asked the same question. Even as a, a Liverpool fan who, yeah, is at the wrong side of 40, he's still trying to remain calm. You're thinking, surely he's not believing his own words. He knows he's on the cusp of greatness, of legendary status, and yet he's in front of a camera and saying, yeah, it was, a, it was a, you know, it was three points, nothing more than that, and we're on to the next game. We can't even begin to dream about winning the league. Is, is that even possible? And is that kind of media training part of the psychological training tools in the bag, as it were, to to try and balance those emotions? Well, if if somebody is truly, truly a high performer, be it a coach, be it anybody, they are doing the best they can with what they've got in the moment they're in and when we do this repeatedly over time 
The byproduct of that is that Liverpool win the league after 30 years. The byproduct of that is that England women, as we sit here tonight recording this, yep. get to the final of the Euros. May or may not be there on Sunday. Just putting it <laughs> out there. Um, and increasingly, and this I was talking about this with a colleague recently, increasingly the, the media, they don't seem to be picking up on the fact that many managers, as you just alluded to, and, and players in the game and across sports yeah. these days are, are just saying, you know, we are taking things one step at a time, one game at a time. And the media are not latching onto the fact that that is absolutely at, at their best. When we think about elite performance and we think about the best teams in the world, that is a, it, that's just what they're doing. And it's the media that are pushing them for, yeah, but, but you, you're going to get the result, but, but this is going to happen in the future. And it's the media driving this narrative of outcome, 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 and outcome meaning success, which then, of course, as it, it sort of links to what we're talking about, that we're saying, well, long-term success, if we're purely focusing on the outcome, well, then what, what when the outcome doesn't that we want doesn't happen? We're what? We're, we're big failure, are we? Despite the processes that we've gone through being absolutely world-class and absolutely brilliant and spot-on and the effort being there all the time, we get to that outcome and we are just 100% failure. And that's really not helpful. And it's something that, that the media are, are still doing by asking ridiculous questions such as, you know, you, you've, you've won the league. Before mathematically, you've won the league. Well, no, you haven't won the league. Be where your feet are. And it kind of comes back to this sense of, of that, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know. I suppose, yeah, as a, as a fan who's getting carried away, I love the journalists asking those questions. But, yeah, it, it must get tedious for them having to, to answer with the same statement. It must be very testing for their own kind of, mental state and their doggedness to be able to repeat those same answers and have you know conviction in what they're saying and yeah it's uh, very interesting yeah. very interesting yeah. i we, guess i'm talking from a site as you know a sports psychologist point of view i just yeah I no and it i just think gosh like you know if cloppy had a um a magic crystal ball and genuinely could have seen into the future then you know he's he's some sort of man machine worth millions of dollars right um, well, the the irony is he's the most emotive person in football I know. But yeah, oh, you've got the captain just maintaining those emotions. So yeah, there's a yeah, yeah. conflict there. But yeah, how yeah. how they managed to get through it, I don't know. But they did, and the rest and how, is history. Exactly. And how do, you know how we regulate our emotions? To go back to bring it on to top, it how we regulate our emotions and our ability to do that will will have a big impact in terms of how we then um, are able to to balance the treating success and failure as the same thing, which essentially is just speaking to the consistency of your daily day, your daily values and you are your daily, your day-to-day behaviors and being consistent in those. What you see is what you get. And on any given day, that's what you'll get from, from this person, from Sarah, when you work alongside her, from when you're working with Johnny in the under 17s. And staying on that emotional kind of theme, I can't remember where I read it, but I read somewhere three components, perspective, thoughts and emotions will determine how you respond to failure. So really, my question to you would be, how is it possible to control your thoughts and emotions in such a, I mean, I used the 
John Henderson post match, but in the actual game, yeah. the big game, the final on Sunday, mm-hmm. the 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 build up, the pressure yeah. on in- England's women. How can they control their thoughts and emotions? Because surely at some point in those 90 mm-hmm. or 120 minutes, it's yeah. going to get the better of them. Or are they that well-trained that they're going to be under control no matter what? What a great question. I mean, I'm sitting here as if I didn't know it was coming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, where I'm going to go with this is that... Um, if right now you can control your thoughts, mm. my goodness, you have got some sort of mind-bending power, the like of which as a psychologist I never knew existed. Because if I tell you to not think of a blue tree, if I tell yeah. okay, okay, right? <laughs> so so I, where I'm going with this, and for any listeners that have got a blue tree in their head, fantastic. That's exactly what I wanted you to have. Because we cannot control the thoughts that pop into our head. We just can't. I truly, the, the way I work as a psychologist is um, is not to deal with something, a technique called thought stopping. Okay. And thought stopping for me is something that that is incredibly difficult, nigh on impossible to do, to stop the thoughts coming in. Those thoughts for the players that are going to be involved in the final um, this this coming Sunday as we record today, yeah. those thoughts, we, we cannot stop thoughts coming into players' heads. Yeah, thoughts of what if, thoughts of... You know, what if we we actually win the game? Thoughts of what if I don't start? Thoughts of what if I play well? What if I don't? So it's less about controlling those thoughts and stopping them coming in, but more about knowing what to do with them when they do, which they will. And actually having this sense of acceptance of the thoughts that pass through our minds, thousands, tens of thousands, and I can't remember the exact number of thoughts pass through our brain every single day. And some we choose to to just leave there. Some will really sit with us for a while. Some we barely even notice. So I think in terms of controlling your thoughts, it's definitely a case of recognizing and noticing when they pop in. And actually, then you can do something with it. You can either choose to action them and, and choose to do something about that thought because it makes you feel a certain way, which then, of course, our our feelings will then determine the, the performance behaviours that we show. So, for example, uh, my thought is, I always play, uh, thoughts popped into my head, I always play bad when, we, um, when we're at Tottenham away. Here's the thought. And, and this is during the game, by the way, because you said, you know, we're talking about in, in-game stuff. Yep. So I've had that yep. thought. Right, so starting to feel a little bit like I'm uh, less confident in in my ability to to play the next five minutes or play the next pass. And this is in the game. This is happening live, which means that my behavior, my action is right now, instead of showing for the ball, the behavioral action that might come off that is that, that the guy that normally shows for the ball actually doesn't show for the ball as much. And then he's got another thought popping in going, yeah, yeah, you see? I knew I knew I never played good at Tottenham. So essentially what we also do is we find we find evidence to back up our thoughts. And um, a very good colleague of mine speaks about this all the time, about, you know, the way that we will just find all the evidence to prove that our thought is true. Like the example I just gave you, you know, the the player is finding evidence for why he or she doesn't play well against Tottenham away. Um, And once we have an understanding of this and a recognition of it, we can choose to actually sit with the thoughts and accept it. And again, this links back to being where our feet are and actually coming back to the present moment and actually recognizing whatever that thought is, 
we are not our thoughts. I mean, it's, I know it's a deep one. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. But we are not our thought. We are just the vehicle. We are the, the body within which our thoughts live and pass through. That's and we are deep. the observer of our thoughts. So in the example I just gave you, like, you know, oh, I never play good against Tottenham away. Well, actually, is there evidence to say that that, that player, 100%, is that's true? Is there evidence to say that that thought must 100% be true? There's not. That thought is just something that has popped into the player's head. And like, like the weather system, like every cloud in the sky, thoughts will just pass through. Some of them will linger a little bit longer and you'll try and find evidence to believe them. But as long as we understand that they only become real when we make them real, they only that only becomes true that I don't play well against Tottenham away and I've just missed a pass and I'm not showing for the ball because I'm, I'm choosing to believe in my thought. And there might be multiple reasons for that. Um, so, yeah, we are we are not our thoughts. We are the observer of the thoughts that pop in and out of our head, much like there is never. And I'm looking up right now. There's never a cloud in the sky or a weather system that you will ever look up and see more than once because it's constantly shifting. As is that, every thought that's ever popped into your head. That's, yeah, I think too deep for me at this time of the day. But yeah, it's very, very, very true. Very true. And it's, yeah, I think it goes back to the, the perspective bit again, isn't it? For, yeah, it's, yeah, it's... In, in terms of what you just said, it's that that's the, that's the game, isn't it? It's dynamic. There's no two players that are the same, even though you do the training, the passing yeah. drills, and all the rest of it. And I think that's what they've got to be trained for, prepared for. So mm -hmm. yeah, that yeah, that really and, resonates. That yeah, and 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 that's live. You know, we just because you're playing the game in that moment, in the twenty third minute of the second half, if you're a player on the pitch, you're still having thoughts. Unless, of course, you're in total flow state where athletes report that actually thinking thinking stops and we could do another episode on that. But yeah, so um, yeah, you're still having thoughts. So um, it's up to you, I guess, what you choose to do with them. So kind of shifting away from the thought yeah. process yeah. in terms of is there a certain tool in the bag for, you know, our listeners to be able to equip themselves to deal with, deal with failure or that perceived failure better than they are at the moment? Um, there's a nice there's a nice REBT tool, actually, um, that uh, is called the Badness Scale that can okay. be quite helpful. Um, and it's something that uh, myself and a, and a colleague, Betsy Tuffery, um, we used to work together and okay. she would use this a lot. And we would we would use it with athletes. Um, and the Badness Scale would be, um, I guess you'd ask the, the player. The, so the footballer, he, he or she have come off the pitch. Yeah. Uh, they've played the game. And, you know, many times players have been devastated, devastated with their performance, devastated with, with the scoreline. Um, and, you know, in just thinking it is 100% bad. So the badness scale goes zero to 100. And so they go, so you ask them a question, right, okay, your performance today, what happened today? Where do you put it on the badness scale? Obviously, worst thing that could ever have happened is 100. Absolutely no impact. It's not bad at all. Be zero. And they go, oh, my God, it's 100 100. <laughs> I was just about to ask, has anybody put 100 thinking they wouldn't do, but clearly not? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They go, no, no, genuine, in that moment, because it's real for them in that moment. Yeah. It's 100, it's yeah. 100. Okay, right. Um, and 
And then you say, where would you put this on the badness scale? And they're like, what? And you say, well, okay, so you are, you're going to training and you've lost your wallet. Um, where, where is it on the badness scale? They go, oh, well, I don't know, like, cool, be about 50. It's got my cards in it, be about 50. Okay, you got, you had, you had 300 quid in your wallet. Oh, okay, that's about 55 on the badness scale, a bit higher because I had a load of money in it. Okay, you're driving, you're driving your car and um, you, you bash into the back of the car in front of you. Where's that on the badness scale? Oh, that's about about 70. Like, I've, I haven't had my car long. That'd be, you know, quite bad. Okay. The car in front of you um, had a female driver and the airbag went off. She banged her head. Oh, a little bit higher. A little bit higher on the badness scale because somebody's hurt. She was pregnant. Oh, my. And suddenly you can see, okay, so they, they go, oh, that's up there on the badness scale. <laughs> so that, so we're heading towards 90s here. And, and then you might ask them something a little more personal about a, a loved one gone into hospital emergency operation and then you might sort of keep going to 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 a place of perhaps losing a lot and and suddenly and then you and then we come back to the question where was today's performance on the badness scale it's not it's not 100 anymore not in the times that many many multiple times that i've done this with athletes yeah that's a there's really a quick, easy win there's a, yeah there's a quick example um of, of a tool um but yeah, just just this this sense of other tools that that can be used would be things such as um, acknowledging thoughts and supporting athletes to understand the self talk cycle and to understand like what it was that, that you were talking about this this sense of you know thinking and feeling and their emotions um, and to understand who they are their values. No, that's really good, really good. And I think the most effective tools are the most simplest ones. I think that badness scale is so simple. And yeah, I, I think it links in really well what you said at, at the beginning of the, the episode about the, the, the conversations. So yeah, I think it's a really good tool to have those conversations with those individuals and yeah, put it into perspective. Really good. And then to finish off, as we always do, you should know this from, from season two, but one, one lasting piece of advice for, for, for our listeners who... You know, dealing with success or failure, is there, if you got a really deep quote to finish finish off or have you got something? I think I've um, already done your sleeve? that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've already done that. <laughs> um, I would say, I would say, and I'm, and I'm going to take it back to uh, The Long Win, which is a book by Kath Bishop, the ex-GB um, Olympic rower. And even in the way I've just introduced her as being the Olympic rower, like that's poor from me, right? Because this is how we define people, rightly or wrongly. Yeah. But she she talks about the the three C's of a of a long win thinking. So the last bit of advice I would say is to anyone listening, um, develop a clarity around what matters to you. So taking a wider perspective on success over the long term, like defining the experience that you want to have along the way, rather than just this long term uh, metric outcome to reach. Develop a constant learning approach. So redefining your success through your personal growth rather than your external results. Develop connection proactively. So invest in relationships as a priority in what we do. Um, focusing on who is in our lives um, rather than, again, just what is this massive outcome that we want to reach. Um, you know, how are we actively looking to develop our connections with others rather than simply comparing ourselves to others. So the quote to finish on, I guess, would be that comparison is the thief of joy. 
Well, I didn't think you could better your previous quote, but I think you just have. So, yeah, thank you. It's been, <laughs> been great to have you on again, and I'm sure we will so, have you on please. again in season four. So we just need to think of a different topic of psychology as an excuse to get you back on. But I'm sure we'll uh, between us, we'll come up with something. Uh, yeah, no, on behalf of our listeners, once again, I know from your first episode on, on, on season two, it went down really well, and I'm sure this one will be even better. And I think it is probably more relevant than ever at this crucial crucial stage of the preseason um you know going into the start of the season where people are potentially failing or potentially feeling that they're riding a crest of a wave they signed that pro deal and the you know the train with the first team they think yeah. there's perceived success I think it's perfectly timed for this episode to go live and yeah i know they'll enjoy it and thanks once again that's a pleasure, Lee. Thanks for having me on. I'm always open to, to feedback. So if anyone wants to ever get in touch, um, you know, DM me on, on Twitter at Sarah Sports Psych. And you can find me on Instagram at uh, Sarah underscore Performance Edge. Always help. Always want feedback. It's always good. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Sarah. Fab. Thanks. The best psychologists have an ability to simplify the difficult and Sarah definitely does that and so well too. Without giving any trade secrets away, Sarah has provided you with a handful of tools to go in that bag of yours, ready to attack this season ahead. The 100 scale, what an easy and simple way to put things into perspective. I love this as this is something you can do right here, right now and will be so effective in helping you deal with perceived failure. The world keeps on turning, never a truer phrase or quote said. It's so true and easily forgot. So whether you sign that new contract or registration, or you find yourself in between clubs, remember, life is going on, time isn't standing still, and new opportunities will present themselves. Hopefully you've taken one thing from this week's episode and please feel free to let us know what by commenting on our daily social media posts. Your feedback is important to us so that we can bring you even better interviews from the locker. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and we hope you have taken many key messages away with you. But the next part is down to you now by putting these into action. If you would like today's episode, feel free to tell us on our various social media platforms where you can find us at thelocker underscore UK. For guest recommendations, future topics to be discussed, or you simply want to reach out, you can do so by emailing us on thedevelopmentlocker at gmail.co.uk. Remember to share this episode and our platform with your teammates, friends in football, or anyone you feel would benefit from it. So, what are you waiting for? But you're not done yet as we look forward to seeing you next week when we bring you another interview from The Locker.